In 2011, a police officer noticed a strange smell coming from a nearby garbage can, and when he looked inside, he would be changed forever. So make sure you stick around until the end of today's show to learn about the crazy thing he found and the unimaginable case surrounding it. Welcome to the Truly Terrifying Show. If you like stories about crime, killers, and mystery, then this is the spot for you. We upload one to two times per week on YouTube and all podcast directories. We also post some additional content on TikTok and Instagram, so if that interests you, go check it out. In today's episode of the show, we will be covering the unfortunate case of Lauren Giddings, which is known as one of the world's most unexpected stalker stories. Now, on to the show. In 2007, when Lauren Giddings graduated from high school and was accepted into college, her parents were over the moon excited. Lauren would officially be the first person in her family to go to college. She was a straight-A student, and she aspired to one day become a criminal defense lawyer. Therefore, it was no shock when seven years later she was finishing up law school at Mercer University. She, along with her entire family, simply couldn't believe it. Not only did she continue to be one of the top students in her class, she also made tons of friends along the way. In June of that year, all Caitlin had left to do to become a practicing lawyer was complete her bar exam. Equally as exciting, her sister Caitlin was also getting married. So Lauren packed up all her books and brought them back to her hometown in Maryland, and in the days leading up to the wedding, she would be found studying nearly every hour of the day. Even though the timing of the wedding wasn't great, it was a great opportunity to see her family, which put her in a good mood leading up to her important test. The wedding went great, but the next day she already had to go back to complete her bar exam. She was going to be returning in only two weeks, so they kept their goodbyes short. Little did they know, this would be the last time they would ever see Lauren. When she got back to school, she dove straight back into her studies, shutting herself off from the rest of the world. This is where she would remain for the following couple days. On June 25th, Lauren called Caitlin to tell her that she was feeling uneasy. Since returning to the school, she felt as if somebody was watching her. The two of them talked for a couple hours, and in the end they concluded that she was probably just stressed about her upcoming tests, and she was just imagining it. But to be safe, she sent an email out to all of her neighbors telling them to be on the lookout. With that, she hung up the phone, and she felt much safer, so she went to bed. Nobody heard from her the next day, and after three more days passed with nobody able to contact her, her family and friends grew concerned. One of Lauren's closest friends called Caitlin asking if she had heard anything from her, which she hadn't, so both of them agreed that something was wrong. Caitlin reached out to anybody who might have heard from her, but nobody had. So in the early morning of June 25th, their dad flew down to Georgia to file an official police report, and their mom planned to fly down later that day. Upon filing the report, police immediately began searching the campus. First, they checked her apartment, which seemed completely normal. Her books were still on her bed, and her keys, wallet, and purse were still in the room, so there was no sign of a break-in. Next, 
They knocked on all of her neighbors' doors and scanned the entire campus. There was not a single sign of her, and nobody had seen her anywhere. A police officer was walking behind her apartment building when something caught his attention. A strong, putrid smell stung the inside of his nose, and he spun around trying to figure out where it was coming from. He followed the smell all the way to a nearby garbage can where he made a shocking discovery. Back in Maryland, Caitlin had just dropped off her mother at the airport when she got a call. On the other end of the phone was their father, and he had some horrific news. After hearing the news, Caitlin could barely focus on the road anymore. Nonetheless, she turned her car around and rushed back to the airport. She ran inside and stopped her mother before she could get on her flight. Caitlin wanted to ensure that her mother didn't receive the news about her daughter when she was alone. When that police officer had looked into the garbage, all he saw was a couple black garbage bags. It wouldn't have looked suspicious at all if there wasn't a putrid smell wafting out of there. He reached into the bin and grabbed the two top bags out, which were relatively light. They didn't smell that bad, so he dumped them out, and it just turned out those two were garbage. So he reached back into the bin and grabbed the third one, which was much heavier. And as it was coming out, he could clearly tell that this was the bag the smell was coming from. He carefully untied the bag and looked inside. In the bag was a human female torso. When he sees this, he drops the bag and he runs for backup. The torso was missing its arms, legs, and head, but it was clearly that of a young female. When they tested the DNA and compared it to the DNA found on Lauren's hairbrush, it was confirmed that the torso was Lauren Giddings. The Barrister Hall apartment complex then flooded with cops and tons of news teams. They were all looking for any clues of what could have happened to the girl. In the following news clipping, one of Lauren's classmates reacts to the news of what the police found. Yeah, Lauren was my neighbor. Um, we're just trying to find out where she is at this point. No one has seen her since Saturday. The last time anyone heard from her was an email that she sent out, and no one's heard from her since. Did you see her hang out with anyone at the time and anything like that? No, no, no one has seen her since Saturday. I haven't seen anything. I mean, you always hear noise outside, but it's just people walking by pretty much. You just recently graduated from Mercer? Yeah, she and I were, we were both JD students. Um, we graduated back in May. What kind of person was she? I mean, how did you, what did you see? Her? I mean, she's as nice as can be. I mean, very personable, very much a people person. Do you know anybody that, any enemies she might have had, somebody that might want to hurt her? No, I mean, we're, we don't know where she is. I mean, the only thing we can think is that maybe she went out running and someone snatched her. Because, I mean, we went, at, we went over, one of her friends had a key. We went inside and tried to see if there was anything amiss. But, I mean, she had a door jam that was sitting right by it. So there was no sign that anyone broke in. I mean, the door was locked when everyone got here. I mean, we, we just don't know where she is. What about um, in the like the parking lot area? I know they've been doing a lot of, I think that's where they have recovered the body or whatever they recovered from there. Body? Um, had you heard, any, had you seen anything there? Had you seen anything there? I, I mean, we don't know if this is the same person. 
You know what I mean? Like, they took out a body there earlier. We don't know if it's the same person or not. So that's how we're trying to ask people if they know who lived there. Are you okay, sir? I, I think I need to sit down. Okay. It was clear that Lauren had been viciously murdered, but police had no clue who could have done it and why. The first break in this case came when detectives used a spray called luminol, which reacts when it comes in contact with blood. The detectives were spraying it in the bathroom when it lit up like a bright flashlight. The bright spots indicated that there were blood stains covering almost the entirety of the bathtub. This also indicated that Lauren was most likely murdered in her own apartment. Because there were no signs of a burglary gone wrong, this pointed to the suspect being someone either Lauren knew or someone who knew Lauren prior. Hoping to learn more about the case, the police encouraged all of Lauren's friends to come down to the police station to chat with a detective. This is when the case would take an unexpected turn. One of Lauren's neighbors went down to the police station voluntarily. He claimed he simply wanted to help. After sitting down with the detective, they noticed some scratch marks on his stomach and face. When confronted about the marks, he claimed he had done them to himself while he was sleeping. The two of them talked for a little while, and the detective learned that the man was celibate and saving himself from marriage. It was at this point that they grew suspicious of him and asked if they could search his apartment, which he reluctantly agreed to. Inside the apartment, police would find a collection of swords, guns, empty paper towel rolls, stockpiled non-perishable food, and a mask made out of woman's underwear. Most importantly, they also found a pack of condoms, which indicated that the man had been deceptive to them. Then, they found a hacksaw and a hard drive which they begged for evidence. Once back at the station, the police questioned him about the condoms, wondering why he would have them if he was saving himself for marriage. To this, he miraculously confessed that he had stolen the condoms from his neighbor using a master key he had found. Using this information, the cops were then able to arrest him and hold him for further questioning. The vibe in the room quickly changed from a chat to an interrogation, which caused the man to switch from friendly to stoic. The interrogation lasted over two hours, and at the end, the police would arrest the man for the murder of Lauren Giddings. The man who was responsible was her former classmate, the one that had been in the news interview only days earlier. His name was Stephen McDaniel. The following is what actually happened. Stephen McDaniel had recently graduated from law school with Lauren. When the two of them first met, Stephen actually asked her out on a date. She had a boyfriend at the time, and even though she said no, they didn't part on bad terms. In fact, the two of them were actually friendly with each other. He was a bit of an outsider, and he had a ton of trouble making friends, mainly because people found him odd. When Stephen was in middle school, he hated the girls in his classes, and he would often bully them. The source of this hatred is unknown. Nonetheless, as he grew older, he would begin to write anonymous blog posts glorifying torture and violence against women. Some of these posts included statements like, 
I consider myself to be a true cold-hearted monster. In a conversation talking about wanting to kill someone using chloroform and suffocation. At the end, he would often write, this is all a hypothetical, of course. Additionally, Stephen was known around campus to frequently ask other students how they would commit a perfect murder. Despite this, Lauren was actually one of the few people who was nice to Stephen. Whenever she'd see him, she'd say hi and give him a warm smile. Little did she know, this would cause him to become obsessed with her. At first, he would watch her leave her apartment every day, but after this got boring, he began following her throughout the day. This would eventually escalate to him watching her through her window when she was changing and sleeping. It was at this point that he also developed an addiction to violent content online. When police checked his internet search history, they found over 14,000 disturbing searches regarding subduing, assaulting, and suffocating victims. The day before the murder, Stephen had been spying on Lauren when he accidentally bumped into her window. Lauren heard this, so she rushed over to her window and scanned to see who was outside. But Stephen was quick enough, and he had already gotten back to his room. That was when Lauren called her sister to tell her what she heard, and then sent the email to her neighbors. Lauren would be moving out in only a couple days, and Stephen knew this, which might explain why he did what he did next. At 9.30pm on June 25th, Stephen snuck up to Lauren's window and videoed her. Then, an hour later, he came back and videoed some more. In the videos, which police recovered, you can just barely see Lauren through the slats in her blinds. Five hours later, Stephen used the master key he had stolen to break into her apartment. He jumped on top of her while she was sleeping and strangled her until she was unconscious. At this time, his search history read, Choked unconscious. How long wake up? When Laura never woke up, Stephen proceeded to take hundreds of pictures of her, storing them on his hard drive. Then, he put her body in the bathtub before returning to his apartment. At 5.40am, he searched online about knife blades before starting to watch The Hangover Part 2. All day, he was on and off the internet, searching about disturbing things like body disposal and garbage collection. Then, at around midnight on June 26th, he returned to her apartment and used his hacksaw to dismember her body. He bagged up her body parts and then went and ditched them in various dumpsters around the campus. The torso would be found but the other body parts would never be recovered. When Lauren's friends grew concerned, Stephen actually played the role of the helpful neighbor and helped them look through her apartment for any clues. In doing so, this actually discounted a lot of the physical evidence they found because he had been there a couple days prior anyways. He continued to play this role when talking to the police and the media, and surprisingly, he did a really good job. When he had that interview, he seemed emotional when they told him about the body. This was most likely because he actually was. He had no clue they had found the evidence, and that obviously stressed him out. During the interrogation, when he realized that the police were actually considering him as a prime suspect, he put on an act, going completely stoic. Over the course of the two-hour interrogation, he barely moved, muttering only yes, no, and I don't know responses. If it weren't for the hundreds of pictures, internet searches, and hacksaw that the police found, 
Stephen may have never been convicted. After being held in jail for about 10 months awaiting trial, Stephen McDaniel finally confessed to the murder of Lauren Giddings. When asked why he did it, he said, It is difficult for me to explain why I killed Lauren and attempted to conceal my deed the way I did. The difficulty in explaining it lies in my own inability to understand it myself. I know that it was very wrong. I am not delusional or without all morals or decency. Stephen will spend the rest of his life in prison. WGXA first interviewed McDaniel the day after Lauren Giddings was reported missing in June of 2011. Reporter Michelle Casada found him standing outside the apartment building where he and Giddings had lived and that we now know was the scene of the crime. He talks about joining Giddings' friends to look for his law school classmate and how they entered her apartment to see if there was anything wrong. It was also the first time McDaniel found out that a portion of Lauren Giddings' body had been recovered by police from the dumpster where he had put it. Knowing now that McDaniel had murdered and dismembered Giddings, the interview provides a glimpse inside the mind of a killer as he builds his story and his alibi. We're, we don't know where she is. I mean, the only thing we can think is that maybe she went out running and someone snatched her. Thank you guys so much for watching this episode of the show. I really hope you liked it. If you did, please give it a five-star rating. It seriously helps us so much. If you have any tips or suggestions, don't hesitate to tell me. You can leave them in the comments or on my Instagram or TikTok. See you next week.